the animistic worldview, which is sort of like very superstitious, the secular worldview, view, which everything science can explain, and even if science cannot explain it right now, soon it'll be able to explain uh, some of these very mysterious things going on in the world. And then the biblical worldview, the biblical worldview of the spiritual world. Then he talked about how Jesus, by his victory on the cross, delegated authority to us, delegated power to us, so that even ordinary believers have this authority, have this power so much as to even cast out demons. But once you mention demons or spirit, we think of Ghostbusters, right? Uh, and, and now Ghostbusters too, and we make it into a joke. But, but guys, it's, it's a serious thing. It is a serious life and death issue for us. And spiritual warfare can be seen over a very wide spectrum of uh, intensity and also visibility. Some we don't see. Sometimes we see it for the real evil that it is. And to emphasize its reality, I want to ask my brother, uh, Chan Yao Singh. Some of you don't know Chan Yao Singh. He used to be uh, the elder in charge of uh, Angora, uh, which meets in the afternoon. He has now come to help us with uh, uh, some aspects of uh, missions, and he's worshipping uh, with us now, and he's a member of PPH. I'm going to ask him to, to come forward, and, uh, and this is my interview question of him, okay? So, Yao Singh, what was your first experience of spiritual warfare of the occultic kind? my first encounter with the Occultic Count was in 1971. Uh, I was a newly commissioned National Service officer uh, taking a platoon of uh, recruits. One day after training, the platoon sergeant came looking for me and uh, he said that he thought one of the recruits was uh, possessed by a demon. So I said, how do you know? He said he was, uh, he mumbled something uh, and, and he was in a trance and then all the other recruits were around him asking why I passed my exam, why I passed my driving test, and this and that, and so on. Um, so accompanied by another officer, I went, uh, went back to the uh, platoon area and uh, uh, to check on the recruit. Now seeing that he was indeed in a trance, I commanded the demon to, to leave uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. So the demon said that I was more powerful, although at that time, you know, after going through, I think, well, uh, cruise, uh, NCO course, uh, and then the officer's course. Uh, I was really quite down spiritually, uh, not having enough time to you know, read the Bible or to pray. Uh, but of course, Sunday, still go to church and so on. I was really very low spiritually, but yet the demons said I was more powerful. And I replied saying that not me, but Christ who is more powerful in me. So the demon kept saying that he, he must have that thing, I must have the thing in order to, to come out from this uh, recruit. So at the time, I have no clue uh, what the demon was saying until the sergeant handed a Thai uh, Buddha amulet to the recruit, and then he was okay. So that was the first time I encountered a demon. Now, of course, uh, very inexperienced. On the high side, I thought I should have done more, like uh, destroying the amulet or uh, take the opportunity to share the gospel with uh, the platoon of uh, recruits. Uh, but of course, I learned from uh, all my mistakes. Lah. 
Yeah, so, hey, don't take away my sermon notes. <laughs> you, you can Well, you know, not, not many of us, uh, I think, not many of us will have such a direct confrontation with, with demons, but still, each one of us must be fully convinced of the biblical worldview, the reality of evil, and the reality of the spiritual world and the unseen spiritual world. But apart from such power encounters like what, what Yao Xing has experienced and, and related to us, Demons very, very often employ more insidious, more hidden, more devious means of messing with our lives and especially messing with, with our minds in, in non-confrontational ways. Okay, I, I claim to know something about warfare. I spent a bit of time in the military. I was ex-military intelligence. And I think some of you will know that that is a contradiction of terms, right? If you're military, you cannot be intelligent. But anyway... In its most fundamental form, warfare is about intelligence. It's about knowing the enemy and then knowing yourself, knowing your own strengths and weaknesses, knowing what weapons you have at your disposal, and with that, then how you prosecute the war. And so this is our roadmap for the next uh, few weeks. So we'll see how far we get today. We'll continue next week. After next week, we have a Mission Sunday where uh, Pastor Danny is going to be speaking. And then Edwin will take the, the concluding sermon on spiritual uh, warfare. So firstly, intelligence about knowing the enemy. For those of us who have any, um, any idea of uh, the military intelligence, you will all have heard of Sun Tzu Ping Fa. Sun Tzu's Art of War, a very famous book that was written uh, in Chinese many, many years ago. And let me quote to you uh, a, a part of it. It says, If you know your enemy and yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. In the same way, the Bible also tells us not to be ignorant. We cannot be ignorant about our enemy, Satan, and his designs. And so we need to ask ourselves, who is Satan? Well, Satan is a Hebrew word. It sounds exactly the same as in English, Satan or Satan. And that word is used to describe generally enemy or adversary. But it is also used as a proper name, like Lo Chi Ming, John, Kok Fai, a proper name. And when that is done, there is in the Hebrew a uh, prefix, a uh, definite article in front of it. So in Hebrew, it'll sound like Ha Satan, which in English will mean something like the Satan. It's a proper name, okay? The Satan. Let's turn to the Bible, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star. In the King James translation, it is how you are fallen from heaven, Lucifer. Okay, I think many of us know that name. Lucifer, it means day star. It is the name of Satan. O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down from the ground, uh, cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, 
I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. So you can easily note the I will, I will, I will. This is the pride of this angel called Lucifer, Satan. He wanted to be even higher than God, but he was cast down. Ezekiel chapter 28 from verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were a signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. Okay, cherub is single. Cherubim, we sing that song, seraphim and cherubim is plural. So, a guardian cherub or guardian angel, I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Satan was beautiful. He was a guardian cherub. He was filled with unrighteousness, filled with violence. His heart was proud. He corrupted his wisdom and therefore he was cast down. But he wasn't cast down alone. Revelations chapter 12, verse 4. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. A third of the stars of heaven refer to a third of the angelic beings. And it's often noted Satan and the angels. Satan and the angels. We read that. Revelation chapter 12 from verse 7 says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels, fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels, Satan and his angels, fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the dragon, great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels thrown down with him. So this is the orthodox view that when God cast Satan down from heaven, about a third of the angelic beings were cast down because they turned evil. Now what about Satan? Satan is not omnipresent. Nowhere in the Bible does it refer to it there, but very often we think he is. He is not everywhere. Only God is omnipresent. One third of the angels were cast down. From the Gospels, we learn this about Satan and demons, that demons can live inside people, inside persons. Demons can live in physical places. 
Demons can communicate with humans. Demons have individual identities. They have names. And they vary in degrees of wickedness. Some are more evil than others. They can even combine forces to like, uh, 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 do an attack. So what is Satan up to? We need to know that. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. We need to know that so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. We cannot say that this is something I don't want to know. I just live my Christian life this way. I don't want to have anything to do with it. It cannot be ignorant. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil, other translations will have it as the wiles of the evil one. The schemes, the designs, the devices. Many other names are used to describe Satan. You know, the serpent in Genesis, the dragon in Revelations, the evil one in the Gospels, Beelzebub in the Gospels. In Greek, the word Satan or the Hebrew word Satan is translated in Greek as diabolos. Diabolos from where we get the English word diabolical, which means devilish. And Satan is also Methodist. Okay, it's a joke. The word, the wiles, stand against the schemes of the devil, the schemes of the devil. The Greek word for that word, scheme, is methodia. So Satan is methodical. Okay, he schemes, he has a plan. It's methodical. Some translations call it the cunning arts. The cunning arts. Satan has his minions. He does not operate alone. And these minions are called demons. They are called angels. They are called unclean spirits, evil spirits. And what do they do? They deceive. A whole lot of verses here. Uh, you probably can't read, but you can download uh, this PowerPoint. I want to emphasize the first one. John chapter 8, verse 44. This is Jesus describing Satan. He says, You are of your father, the devil. He was talking about to some of these Pharisees. And your will is to do your father's desires. He, which means Satan, Satan was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and a father of lies. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 calls him the deceiver of the whole world. Deception. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 said that the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, his methodia. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 13 calls them deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, deception. And Satan's demons, his minions, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. You know, like I, I mentioned that I was in the military before and I planned war games. And then, you know that Singaporeans are very straight-laced, right? So when the military plans come back to me, it's like frontal assault or at most a flanking assault. Then I will ask these guys, where is your deception plan? Oh, sir, forgot. 
Oh, then they go away and work on their deception plan as an afterthought. But for Satan, it is not an afterthought. That is his first line of attack, deception. To deceive is to hide. There is this very famous quote from Winston Churchill, and he said, it is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. It's layers and layers of deception and hiddenness. And you know, in a world of intelligence, everybody is trying to deceive everybody else. We all have secrets, and we have secret projects and secret plans with all kinds of code names so that people cannot discover what you truly want to do. And we have code names within code names. So that even if you crack the secret behind one code, you only crack level one. It's like peeling an onion. But what's more important is insight deeper and you need to crack level two or level three before you get to the, the real thing. And can I say that there are also levels of deception from Satan? Maybe level one would be something like this. Hey, you are so superstitious to believe in Satan and demons in this 21st century. That's level one. Okay, let's, we say we get past that, okay? Because we listen to Pastor Chiming's sermon and we don't uh, believe in a secular worldview. We have the biblical worldview. We get past that. But there's another layer. Level two is Christians are invulnerable to demons because you have the Holy Spirit. You are invulnerable. Actually, it comes more like in this form. Christians cannot be demon-possessed. Whether or not this statement is true depends on half a word, possess. And by just a twist of that half a word, demon-possessed, Satan has propagated perhaps his biggest lie. And it all arises from an unfortunate translation. The Greek word for demon is daimonion, the Greek word that is translated as demon-possessed in one translation is daimonizomai. And it's caused a lot of confusion. I would prefer the word demon-oppressed, demon-disturbed, demon-affected, or just say demonized. I mean, you can just carry on from uh, naizo, demonizo, demonize. And the lie is that Christians are so invincible that they cannot be affected by demons. And, and this lie has disastrous consequences. Uh, some of you who study Chinese history would have heard of the Boxer Rebellion, where a group of people were rebelling and they thought that they were invulnerable. They're and, and they thought they were invulnerable to, to bullets even. And, and, and they got destroyed. And Christians who believe like so will also get destroyed. The word demon-possessed emphasizes possession, ownership, as though a demon owns you. The word demonize emphasizes that disturbance, that levels of control that you give to demons. So a Christian can let demons control his mind because you have given over that control to demons. It's like the concept of, of uh, squatters. Okay, we have a fantastic example here. Here in this church, we have the legal ownership of this piece of land. And for many years, our neighbor across the road squatted on a section of our land. For many years, 
And the law at that time was that if you own that, if you squat on the land for, I don't know, 12 or 14 years, it becomes yours. You take over control. Then the law changed. The moment the law changed, we went to our neighbor and said, the law has changed. This is indeed our land. And we got back that land. So now we are legally owners of that little bit of extra space that we now park three more cars. <laughs> okay? The concept of squatters. You have legal ownership, but you let the squatters come in. I want to introduce this, this guy called Meryl Unger. Um, he is a theologian, conservative as can be. Okay? He came from the Dallas Theological Seminary. For those of us who know DTS, this is one of the top colleges, uh, seminaries, very, very conservative. Billy Graham calls him an authority on the subject of demons. And he says this, I quote, The demon enters as a squatter and not as an owner or guest or one who has a right, but he comes in as an intruder and as an invader and enemy. But come as he does if the door is opened by serious and protracted sin. It must be stressed that demons cannot indwell a Christian in the same sense as the Holy Spirit indwells. No demon can ever have any influence over any part of a Christian's life that is yielded to the Holy Spirit. So don't think of a spatial relationship as in a physical body having both the Holy Spirit and the evil spirit inside. Uh, a, a spatial relationship would be like the heavens and the earth. Spatially are inhabited by evil spirits, we know that, right? Also inhabited by Christians with the Holy Spirit, also inhabited by angels who do God's bidding. So that's a spatial relationship. Think of the relationship of influence and control that Christians have given up control through protracted sin to demonic influences. Think of it like that. So let's look at the first act of deception. When was the first act of deception in history? Eve was deceived, right? So what was Satan's scheme? Let me put it this way. Maybe there are three levels. The first level is Satan casts doubt, question God's word, and Satan asks Eve, did God actually say that? Did God actually say that you cannot eat from all the trees? So that first doubt was cast in Eve's mind. And then the next level, he decided, went on to deny God's word, and he said, you will not surely die. You will not die. At that 180 degrees from what God said, and after that second level of deception, the third one came, then he substituted falsehood and said, if you eat that, you will become like God. So that three levels of deception was what God eat. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Be angry but, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This is the idea of an opportunity an opening that is given to the devil. It's also translated opportunity, opening, foothold, a beachhead, a breach, a gap for the devil. So it suggests to us that the devil, demons, can gain entry. Through what means? In this verse especially, it talks about anger. I don't know if you have ever seen a really angry man. It's like this guy loses control, his face changed, he looks almost demonic. 
and, and there are other means or opportunity or bridges that can you can allow demonic influence like lies your lie grows bigger and bigger until it's all evil like even unwholesome words that you use and curses and especially sexual immorality you allow demonic influences and occultic practices you may think like oh things like horoscopes and all that is just fun is harmless and that is a lie that is where you are opening up a bridge and especially following after the good footsteps of the satan pride pride arrogance you open up an opportunity for the evil one so in our cell groups discussion i would like you to do this Look at that three levels of uh, deception that happened to Eve. You question God's word, you deny God's word, and then you substitute falsehood into it and work through some examples. We can start with this one, like illicit sex, which basically means sex outside of marriage, whether it is fornication or adultery within marriage or, or whatever unnatural sex. And for that, we can say, okay, how is God's word questioned? Um, did God really prohibit sex before marriage? Hey, we're going to get married in three months. So I love you, you love me. Why can't we have sex? We love each other. And what's so important about this ceremony uh, that I, must, I can only have sex after the ceremony? Did God really say that? The second level is you deny God's word and, and you say that actually it's good. It's between two consenting adults. It harms no one. And then maybe another level would be to substitute falsehood. Hey, relax. Ah. You deserve to be happy. If sex makes you happy, go ahead and do it. Something like that. And then you can work out the question marks. Okay? In your cell group discussion, you can think about what are the openings that allow demonic influences. Uh, it could be occult. Think about occult and how you can question God's word, you can deny God's word, you can substitute falsehood. You can talk about pride, okay? Don't need to go into all the spooky stuff. You can just talk about pride. If you have pride as an opening, how does Satan come in to mess with your mind and deceive you? So you can do that in a cell group. I want to call upon Yao Sing again now and um, ask him to recount an incident he has experienced about the deceit that is employed by demons. Thank you. So once, once I was asked by a church member to help check on his neighbor, uh, he has just accepted Christ, but he has nightmares. So during ministry, um, uh, he spoke in a foreign tongue, and the four friends who accompanied him to the to the church say that uh, it was a tongue of the Holy Spirit. So I asked whether he would agree for me to test the tongue, and he say uh, yes. Uh, he says uh, uh, yes, yes, please test the tongue. So in the name of Jesus, I commanded the spirit who spoke in a foreign tongue to identify himself. Now the spirit straight away replied, saying that he was indeed the Holy Spirit. Now, knowing that demons are very deceitful, 
uh, as a practice, I challenge, I will always challenge the Spirit. You prove to me that you are indeed the Holy Spirit. Now this Spirit replied that when Jesus went back to the Father after his crucifixion, he went back with him. Ah. So I asked, where in the Bible was that recorded? The Spirit replied that he didn't know. But I continued to put pressure. I say, you are the Holy Spirit, you should know. And uh, later he said it was recorded in the book of Romans. So I say, which chapter? Which book? Which verse in Romans? The Spirit could not reply and finally confessed that it was indeed the Holy Fox Spirit of Japan. You know what language he was, foreign language he was speaking? Japanese. Fluent Japanese. And of course, uh, he doesn't know Japanese at all, but the Spirit knew. So in my encounter with demons, many claim to be the Holy Spirit, uh, and then when challenged, one eventually say, say that he was the Holy Spirit of Lady Fatima. Uh, others claim that they are the Holy Spirit of a saint or another. So demons will always lie. They are liars, always. So be bold to challenge them and to ask them to prove their claims. I won't take a script. So deception is what is Satan, what Satan is up to. Secondly, destroy. Destruction of the body, deception of the mind, destruction of relationships. And uh, Edwin, Elder Edwin is going to talk more about uh, uh, relationships, but I want to talk a little bit more about the destruction of the body here. And several scriptures here, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, to eat up. Luke chapter 22, verse 31, this is Jesus telling Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Simon demand, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you, that might like grab him by, by the collar and, and shake him, sift you like wheat. And then the very famous verse in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So about destruction, again, I call upon Yao Sing uh, to share with us an incident where demonic powers harmed someone physically and finally destroyed the person. One evening back in early 1980, um, my wife shared with me that one of her lady friends um, used a scissor to cut a cross on her forehead. Now, straight away, I recognized that that was demonic, the work of demons. Now, the husband gave us permission to uh, visit her the next evening, so I asked the pastor to, to come along. Um, now, during the conversation, she did mention that she always hear voices telling her to throw her children down the block. Uh, so at the end of a long visit, um, the husband gave us permission, gave the pastor permission to pray for the wife. And the moment they started praying, she went into a trance and was making a lot of noises and so on, attracting the neighbors, peeping through the window and so on. 
So I told the pastor, I think we better leave uh, before they call the police. Um, so we told the husband that we'll come back tomorrow and see what we can do uh, for his wife. Uh, so before we left, I left my phone number with him and say, uh, just call me if you need help. So at about 6 the following morning, he phoned me and he said, uh, are you Mr. Chan? I said, yes, I am. Then he continued. He said, I woke up this morning. I couldn't find my wife. She was missing. I searched high and low for her and finally found her lying below our block, completely naked and dead. Completely naked and dead. I felt so terrible that a woman died because of our visit and I learned a very important lesson Demons will destroy rather than leave the person peacefully. So, demons will destroy. So, subsequently, whenever I do deliverance ministry, I always am mindful that I always protect the safety of the family members and also the safety of the patient. That's a very sobering um, thought for us. I don't have so much experience in this, so I asked Yao Sing to come help. But I know that as a young, young believer, I was very, always very fearful of this. Like, I always think that in a deliverance session, the demons may, in front of my fellow Christians, announce all my secret sins. Right then, I'll be oh, so embarrassed. So I, I keep far away uh, from it. Um, but now I know better. First of all, Demons are not omniscient. They don't know everything. And even if they do know something about my so-called secret sins, so long as I have confessed my sins, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, and I'm righteous before God, and I don't have to worry about this. Now I know this. But still, often I get people who come to me and say, uh, Pastor, I don't really want to get baptized, because if I get baptized, the demon will come and disturb me. The devil will come and disturb me. I said, no, no. Why do you have such thinking? It, it is really Satan messing uh, with your mind. And it's so untrue. All the more, you should be baptized and be righteous in God's eyes. So it's, it's like this. So let's get back to the Bible again. There are, you know, I said Satan as a proper name. When the Bible refers to Satan as a proper name, there are four instances in the Old Testament where that happens with Satan, a proper name, like John or Kokfai, confronting somebody. So these four persons are Eve, Job, David, and Joshua. And um, I'd like you in your cell group to study this even more, read through the passages of such encounters, uh, if we already know a little bit in Genesis chapter 3, <coughs> Satan targeted Eve's mind. He was messing with her mind. We, we heard that earlier. And the weapons were used were, were lies. Um, and unfortunately, Eve was ignorant of God's will and, and she got deceived. So the way to have defended herself was just to go back to the inspired word of God. Just at that time, don't have the Bible, I think. Just remember what God actually said. <coughs> the instructions in the Garden of Eden. Next is Job. Job, you can read the first couple of chapters of, of Job. 
Job was targeted. No need, no need. I got my water here. <laughs> Job was targeted physically, his body, his own body, his children's bodies, even his animals, they were targeted. That the weapon that was used was suffering. Suffering, which is hard to understand right now, which God allowed. And the purpose was to make Job so impatient with God that he would just give up on God. The idea was to make Job so... I pray, God, I prayed so many years uh, for, for this suffering to pass and I prayed for the, the, the health and the wealth of my children and these things happened to me, I'm going to turn away from you. That was the purpose. The defense, the defense is the imparted grace of God that even in all this horrible suffering that God, uh, Job was going through, he could find that sliver of grace of God and he would hang on to it in spite of his suffering, which he did. And he was able to triumph over his suffering. David, King David in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, this is the story of King David having a census, counting his military forces. And the target was his self-will. Now, having a census sounds like a very minor, minor thing. I mean, in what sense was, was that a sin, really? But it has to be seen in the context of David's success. His God-given victory after victory after victory. And that built up his pride to the extent that now he says, let me count my soldiers and how powerful I am. That is the context. So he did not consult God on the census and he did something that was outside of God's will at the time. Maybe God would have asked him to count your soldiers later on, but not at that moment. What he should have done was to depend on the indwelling Spirit of God. Ask God, is that is the right thing for me to do? Is it a godly thing? Joshua. Now, this is not Joshua who came after Moses. This is Joshua the high priest in Zechariah chapter 3. And that was a direct dealing with the proper name, Satan. The target of Satan was the heart and the conscience of Joshua. He was high priest, but he had filthy garments. Satan say, told Joshua, your garments are filthy. You are sinful. Your head is uncovered, meaning you are outside of God's protection. And that is the famous weapon of Satan. Accuse, accuse, accuse. Accusation. Joshua, you are no good. You are undeserving of being a high priest. How dare you be a priest, let alone the high priest? The purpose was to indict God that God made a mistake in appointing Joshua the high priest. And the defense came. The defense came in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Why is it the Lord said to the Lord, it is suggestive of the pre-incarnate Christ, so that Jesus was there in the Old Testament, sort of saying, the Lord Jesus said to Satan, the Lord God rebuke you. And later on, in the, the later part of chapter 3, the Lord took away Joshua's filthy garments. The Lord took away his sins. The Lord clothed Joshua the high priest in rich robes, rich robes of righteousness. And next week, we're going to be talking about the, the breastplate of righteousness. And the Lord put a turban on the high priest's head, suggesting that helmet of salvation. So suffering, the destruction of the body, has caused many to turn away from God. I think this is one of the key weapons of Satan too. You can call it a, a deception of the mind, the destruction of the body. You can suffer through illnesses. You can suffer through sometimes 
inexplicable uh, accidents. Some of this suffering is caused by the fall of man when Adam and Eve sinned, nature went into, um, was, was messed with, and, and so you might have uh, tsunamis or earthquakes or something like that. Some of it can be caused by your own sin. If you drink and you drive and you're drunk and you kill someone or you maim yourself, it's by your own sin. Some of it is caused by demons. If you read the Gospels, there are many of these uh, illnesses that are caused by demons. Job's suffering was caused by demons. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he calls it a messenger of Satan that was allowed by God. But all of this, in the end, is for God's glory. If you read 1 Peter chapter 4, I don't have it here. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. It says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. What does it mean? It means that even if it was Satan or his demons who caused us to have this terrible accident or who has caused this cancer or blindness or bleeding, and even if it is not healed in Jesus' name at our Wednesday healing prayer service, we should not be ashamed. Instead, let us glorify God as Christian sufferers. In the NIV, it says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, that you bear the name of a Christian suffering. And in the end, glorify God. So this lack of understanding of suffering has turned many away from God, and Satan is very happy about that. Uh, we're going to have 6th of August, uh, uh, afternoon seminar about pain and suffering with uh, uh, a psychiatrist with uh, a pastor and all that. We're going to be covering uh, some of that. Last year, we had this series, if you remember, of sermons, If God is Good, Why Is There Suffering? Uh, review that. In the end, God's ways are higher than our ways. His perspective is eternity. And it is not meaningless. So, this would be a good point to stop uh, in our roadmap. We know about the enemy. Next week, we will talk about knowing ourselves, uh, the armor of God, uh, and something about deliverance from demonic oppression. But I want to ask a question now, where are we? Where are we between superstition and skepticism? So, skepticism, I put this cute little satanic cartoon uh, as if you are skeptical, then Satan is like that. Nah. But if you are Okay, call it superstitious. I googled scary Satan picture and I got scared. <laughs> so I'm not going to put that picture up there to scare you or to stumble you. But where, where are we? Between being scared of everything and being skeptical of everything. Maybe you say you are savvy. I'm savvy. Okay, now that I have heard Jiming's sermon. I'm biblical worldview. I am savvy. I know these things. What say we use the word scripturally sound? Scripturally sound. We know the truth, the truth that is based in God's word. But I don't want this scripturally sound to be right, right in the middle. I place it a little bit more towards the scary end. Because we are not just like going middle of the road. Okay, there is... Uh, a powerful enemy, and the word used was our foe is formidable. 
last week, remember? So I placed it a little bit more towards the, the scary picture. But we are scripturally sound. We have a sound basis for our faith. We have a sound basis for knowing the enemy. So I trust that, especially Yao Seng's sharing, has alerted us to the reality of war in the spiritual realm. It's, it's not play-play. It's serious business. And we cannot be complacent. We cannot be ignorant. And we also need to examine ourselves so that we do not give opportunity, we do not give an opening or a beachhead to the devil. We don't seek control. Um, I want to talk about a set of renunciation prayers to, to lead us through. And those of you who have uh, gone through our, our M1, whoops, uh, what we do to prepare people for baptism, and in this booklet, we have a set of renunciation prayers. Renunciation against what? We need to, be, we need to break free from non-Christian spiritual experiences or practices. What are some of these? For me personally, I remember when my brother, my older brother, did his PSLE. And my parents at that time thought we should find out whether he would pass or fail. We didn't have, uh, like Hell Sings, uh, the recruit to go and consult. So we did. Have you heard of a Ouija, a Ouija board? O-U-I-J-A. So that's a Chinese version. So there's this piece of paper we put on the ground with a lot of Chinese words. And then it's going to be done at midnight. So we need three persons. So my mom, my dad, and myself as a younger brother. We woke up at midnight. We lit a joystick, put a joystick there, and my father had to chant something. We placed this finger onto a ceramic plate about this size on top of the paper. So three of us place a finger there, and it moves by itself. It just goes round and round, and it landed on one word. The word is pi in Chinese, which means failure. That was my experience with this kind of stuff. The trouble is my brother passed. So now, I mean, many years later, I think, hey, what, what, what happened? Well, maybe demons cannot tell the future. They are not omniscient. They don't know everything. Or in my case, I ran across an incompetent one. <laughs> well, it's not funny, okay? It's not funny. It's really scary, okay? Even as you think about this now, you've got to get goosebumps. So for me, I have to renounce this past experience that it is ungodly. It is not something that should stick with me. I need to cut it off. And as a young child, I was uh, sickly uh, with, with asthma. And so my parents dedicated me to a deity, Kuan uh, Yin. And that too, I had to renounce. So break free from non-Christian spiritual experiences and practices. Unforgiveness and bitterness. The Bible talks about bitterness. How did bitterness get in and create a, a root of evil? That's what the Bible says in Hebrews. It, it starts with very simple unforgiveness. And this unforgiveness grows and grows and grows. And you have then opened up an opening for demonic influence that we need to renounce. Vows and curses. Sometimes we vow something that if only God, and we always say God, 
will let me make a million dollars or pass my exam or get this scholarship, then I would do this. Or we make a curse against someone. We actually curse someone. Or someone curses us. And these are the things that we need to break ourselves, break free from. Sinful patterns of behavior. Okay, sexual immorality is a very clear one. Okay, It really allows an opening for all kinds of evil. Pornography is another area that we are opening up ourselves to demonic influences. Lies and protracted lies and lies upon lies is another way until you begin to live in another virtual world that is not true. Rebellious attitudes and behaviours. Okay, I do have friends who, for whom the current government can do no right. Okay, everything that the Prime Minister says or any minister says, they will have blasted and they will find all kinds. They're basically rebellious. Okay, they just cannot take any form of authority. Uh, or you would have rebellious attitudes against your own parents. Um, rebellious attitude against a husband who is supposed to be the head of the family. Rebellious attitudes against church leaders. Recently, I had one lady come up to me and say, Pastor, I'm sorry, I was uh, rebellious against you. And I'm so glad that it's broken free. It doesn't bother us uh, anymore. And lastly, if you cannot find any of these things, pride and arrogance. There's something, as Satan has fallen due to his pride, any one of us can fall due to our pride and arrogance. So I want to lead us in a prayer of renunciation. Now, for some of us, and I think many of us, this is not a problem, right? Because I come before the Lord daily, I confess my sins, I put on the robes of righteousness that Christ has given to me. This is not a problem. Then great, okay? You don't even have to say this prayer with me. And, but continue to pray for other people and, and just praise the Lord that we are so clean, we are so righteous uh, before God because Jesus Christ has, has died for our sins. His, His blood covered us and we have no issue uh, with this at all. So that's good. But if when I go through this list, there was some stirring in the heart that, hey, this is one area that perhaps is bothering me, then let's come before the Lord. Let's renounce any association with these things and be set free. It's as simple as that. So why don't we do that, okay? Have a moment of quiet. As you look through this list of uh, six areas, if it doesn't bother you, really use this time to praise the Lord that indeed God has set us so free from all this but if there is some tingling there's some uneasiness then it could be the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin and let's confess in a, a prayer of renunciation. Dear God, loving Heavenly Father, please forgive me for this sinful and ungodly areas. And as we look through number one to number six, just name it. Name it before the Lord. 
forgive me for ungodly spiritual practices, unforgiveness, bitterness, vows and curses, sinful patterns of behavior, especially sexual sin, lies. Forgive me for rebellious attitudes and behavior. Forgive me for pride and arrogance. I repent of these and ask that you forgive and cleanse me from all my sins. Your word declares and I agree. I subscribe to it. I submit to your word which says that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and not just to forgive but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I receive your forgiveness and cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ. I so cancel all grounds, any ground that evil spirits may have gained through such openings, through my willful or even ignorant involvement in such areas. It is cut off. And your word says, if we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. I apply these words to myself. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And I am now free from the bondage of sin, free from the influence and disturbances from the evil one. And so thank you, Lord, for setting me free from, and name it, one to six, we are free from it. Henceforth, I abide in the truth. And Jesus says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so I abide in the truth. So fill me now with the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, indwell me as a child of God and I walk out into this world covered with the blood of Jesus with the authority delegated to me as a child of Almighty God and with the power delegated to me to bring the gospel to bring healing to the nations so thank you Father Thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like someone to pray with you further, for further ministry, just do come. Otherwise, service is over, and I'll see you next week. We'll talk more about the armor of God.